Psalms chapter 107. Man, what a blessing it to be in the house of God. Amen. Psalms chapter 107. Hadn't the Lord been good to us today? I want to praise Him for His faithfulness. And uh, He's been faithful to me again today. And He's been good to me again today. I didn't deserve it today just like I didn't deserve it yesterday. Uh, but He has anyway because that's just how great of a God that He is. And so I want to thank him for his faithfulness in my life. He's been awful good to me. Psalms 107. Let's begin reading in verse number 23. Psalms 107, verse number 23. The Bible says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven... They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. We'll stop there and pray. Lord, I love you tonight. Thank you for letting us be here in this place. Thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your people that have come here tonight because they need to hear from you. Lord, I need to hear from you. I want to thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, because we came because of your faithfulness, not because of ours. We came, Lord, because we knew you'd show up, you'd keep your promises, Lord, you'd meet us in this place, and that you'd do a work in us. So I pray we'd have our hearts surrendered under the authority of your word tonight. Lord, may we not come as spectators, may we not come as academics or theologians, but Lord, may we come as as humble supplicants, Lord, desperately in need, poor and needy pilgrims, needing to hear from heaven, needing to hear from home, and needing for your will to be done in our lives We'll be sure to thank you for what's accomplished. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word, that it's perfect, that it's preserved. It wouldn't do any good to be perfect if it wasn't preserved. Uh, Lord, that it's inspired, but it wouldn't do any good for it to be inspired if it wasn't preserved. Lord, that it's inerrant, and I believe it's inerrant in the preservation. Lord, I believe that it's exactly what we need it to be and what you designed it to be. Help us to submit it with, with, uh, with reverence and with obedience tonight. As we seek for you to do a work in us, Lord, I love you and I thank you for loving me. Bless our time together. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You'll find if you read through the 107th Psalm that there is a threefold formula that appears four different times within this psalm. One of my favorite things to do is to read through the book of Psalms and look for the patterns and the structures of the psalms. You know, the psalms were songs of worship that were to be sung when they came to the temple and worshipped. And just as it is in our day when we sing songs, very often there is structure to it and there is is pattern to it. So likewise, when they would sing these psalms, there would be a structure to it. And oftentimes you'll find that musical word, Selah, you to denote some of the divisions. But here we find that, that the psalmist instead uses sort of a threefold pattern to denote the different sections in this psalm of worship and of gratitude to the Lord. You'll find this uh, threefold formula on four occasions. We could describe it in this way, that the first part of this formula is reaching. 
It is man reaching unto God. Verse number 6 says this, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. Man, aren't you glad we can reach out to God when things go sideways? Aren't you thankful we're not just left alone? We can reach out to Him. And if we'll seek Him, He may be found. We can find Him and we can hear from Him. And on four different occasions, we find different iterations of this phrase where they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And then you'll find immediately following that reaching that there is a rescue that takes place. That God answers and and delivers in a mighty way in the life of His people. Man, I'm glad when we pray, that's not just a religious exercise. That's not just yoga for the soul. Somebody say amen to that. Uh, but rather that that is a powerful and potent exercise of our relationship with God, that we pray to a God that hears and that answers and that works mightily in our life. And on four different occasions in this text, they reach out to God and God rescues them. And then once again, we find a phrase that is used over and over again. We could say this, that there's reaching and there's rescue, but then we see that Following that rescue, there's always rejoicing. The psalmist says in verse number 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Boy, if that's not a pattern for life, I don't know what is. Everything's going fine. Things fall apart. What do we do, preacher? We reach out to the Lord. When we reach out to the Lord, what will He do? Well, He will come in rescue. That rescue may not take the form that we anticipate, may not take the form that we ask and request, but it'll be exactly what we need. And then when God has answered, we rejoice in Him for His goodness towards the sons of men. We find this pattern on four occasions. And this formula is set almost like gems within four different settings Here in this psalm, for instance, we find it in verses two through eight in the context of salvation says in verse number two, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north. And from the south, you say, preacher, what's that talking about? Well, I think no doubt there is some application to Israel. But hey, I'm glad it ain't just Israel that can be redeemed. I'm glad even me as a Gentile can be redeemed. Boy, it looks a lot like Walridge Baptist Church. Amen. That's the redeemed of the Lord saying so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Hey, listen, he gathered them from the east in places like North Carolina, from the west in places like, God help us, California, from the north in places like New York City, from the south, even down Louisiana, he has brought us and gathered us from all these lands. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. What did He do when He rescued us? Well, He led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. You say, preacher, what what are we? We're pilgrims on our way to a city of habitation. When that happened, when we got born again. We got set on a path and a course, 
And we got a homing beacon put in our heart. And, you know, it's always interesting. The Bible describes the Holy Spirit as being in the likeness of a dove coming down at the baptism of Jesus. The dove in the Old Testament, uh, in the days of Noah's ark, uh, was in many ways a type and picture of the Holy Spirit. And you know, those doves, those pigeons, they, they're homing beacons. Amen. They're, they're always headed home. Amen. They're always wanting to get home. Amen. Well, what happened when God saved you? God put the dove inside you in the person of the Holy Spirit, pointed your nose towards glory, and that homing beacon is trying to get home. Let them do a city of, of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. So we see this formula in the context of salvation. Verses 9 through 15, we see this very same formula, but it's in the context of suffering. I'm glad we've got a salvation and a Savior that is built for suffering. Uh, I've often said that our Christianity, that Christianity as a, as an ideal and, and as a system is overbuilt for a society that is enamored with luxury and ease. That it's overbuilt for a society where convenience is the prevailing concept of the day. Don't you know your Christianity was, was built for bigger things than that? Don't you know the footings of your soul were dug deeper than that and put on a solid rock when He established your goings? And I'm glad we've got a Savior. Hey, that even in the hours of suffering, He is all that we need. It says in verse 9, for He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And He saved them out of their distresses. What did He do for the sufferers? Well, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. We see it in the context of salvation. We see it in the context of suffering. Verses 16 through 22, we see it in the context of straying. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, when we get wrong. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get wrong. Amen? Sometimes I get messed up. Sometimes my heart isn't right. Sometimes my mind isn't right. Sometimes I stray from the Lord and what I know to be true, what I know to be right. And here's what he does. Verse 16, for he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted, their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You say, preacher, what do I need when I'm all messed up? You need His word. He sends His word and it heals you. And it delivers you from your destructions. We all set ourselves on on a path of self-destruction from time to time through our folly and through our stubbornness and through our rebellion. What do we need? Hey, that's why we need preaching. That's why we need church. That's why we need the Word of God is because often we won't, we won't take our own selves by the nape of the neck, but the Holy Ghost sure will. And He'll send His Word and He'll heal us and deliver us from our destructions. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. We find it in these three settings here before our text, in salvation, in suffering, and in straying. But you'll find when you read through this psalm that when you get to verse 23, it is almost a startling transition in sort of the verbiage and the tempo and the cadence of this psalm. 
And you'd be tempted when you read it to think that, well, this is this is a bridge in the song. This is some shift in the music. This is some change. And yet when we come down to verse number 30, we find that that this exact, or verse number 28, this exact same formula is still in force. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. Verse 31, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. In other words, this isn't the start of a new song. Rather, this is the fourth verse and the final verse in this song of gratitude that the psalmist is singing. And it's not about salvation, it's not about suffering, and it's not about straying. But rather, it's about the storms of life. It's about times of great cataclysm, great tragedy that befall us in our life. And the psalmist uses as an example the men that he's seen, the sailors that go down and sail in deep waters and face fierce storms and through that process learn a dependence upon God and a closeness to Him that could be learned in no other way. I like how he describes it in verse number 23 and 24. He says, They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. I want to preach to you on that thought tonight. Wonders in the deep. Can I say there are some things you don't learn in shallow water. There are some things you don't learn in a calm, placid lake. There are some things you can only learn in the storms that beset us in life. Can I also say to you, your God is not scared of storms. There's never been a sailor alive that hasn't feared them. Uh, But though we may fear them, and the sailor might fear them, the Father doesn't fear them. God's never been scared. You say, preacher, storms come into my life, and I don't know what to do. And, you know, I don't guess any of us know what to do when storms arise in our life. I'm glad God always knows what to do. And I'm glad that even in those storms that we endure and experience in life, that God even works within the storm. As the old songwriter said, he plants his foot upon the sea and rides upon the wave. I'm glad he hath his way in the storm, as the book of Nahum says. And when we read this passage of Scripture, we learn four important truths about the storms that we experience. I want you to notice them with me tonight, and they'll be, then we'll be done. Notice, number one, the treasures of the storm. Now, the way the psalmist frames this verse of, 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 of prose and, and this passage of Scripture is interesting. He says in verse 23, They that go down to the, to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. Now, what does he mean when he says His works and His wonders? For He commandeth and raiseth the stormy wind which lifteth up the waves thereof. We'll get to it more deeply in a moment, but he's talking about them seeing the storms. And he describes them as not being those that merely paddle about in the shallow pools, but rather those that would dare and venture to go into the deeper areas where the reward is greater, but the risk is greater, and where God can do greater works and deeper works in their life. Now, if you think this is just talking about sailors, friend, you've missed it. He's talking about the life of faith and of seeking the Lord and of walking with Him and of daring to let God do deep things in our life. What are the treasures of the storm that he's talking about? Well, number one, I would say this, the daring works that happen in the deep water. You know, everything of value you're going to find in the deep water. The bigger fish are in the deep water. The hidden treasures are in the deep water. 
The hidden knowledge is in the deep water. There's parts of, of this ocean uh, in our world that, that no man has ever even laid eyes on. Never have they experienced or seen those things. And I will tell you that in life, those that want to achieve the greatest things, those that want to catch the biggest fish, those that want to see things that no man has seen, are going to have to go to deeper waters to do so. In Luke chapter number 5, we are taught and, and, and given access to a moment in the life of Peter the Apostle in which he, he knew the Lord and, and, and he had seen God work. He had seen God raise up his, his mother-in-law and he had seen God do a work in, in their home. But he had not been fully convinced enough to be willing to lay down his fishing nets and commit himself fully to a life of following Christ. The Bible tells us that on that day the Lord Jesus comes and he begins to teach and the people begin to press about him. And he goes to Simon Peter and he says, let me use your boat to stand upon to teach these so that they can hear my voice. And Peter says, well, yeah, that's fine. It's just sitting here doing nothing. You know, a lot of people are willing to give Jesus stuff they ain't doing nothing with. He wasn't doing nothing with it. He was mending his net. He wasn't doing nothing with the boat. Why, yeah, if that's what you want, Lord, I, I'll give you something I ain't doing nothing with. And, and he lets him, him stand in the boat and he begins to teach the people. But then afterwards, Peter gets a private tutorial. And the Lord comes to him and he says, Peter, I want you to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught of fishes. And Peter, a lifelong fisherman, a man of of skill and of craft, a, a master in his trade, said, Lord, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. And he lets down the nets and brings up a great draught of fishes. God uses that not just to give him a bunch of fish, but as a pen to hang his faith on. And to show them who Jesus Christ is. You say, preacher, where did that happen? It didn't happen in the shallow pools. It happened in the deep water. Some of us don't never see God do anything big in our life because we don't want to get out of the kiddie pool. We don't want to really have to trust Him. I mean, we get all bent out of shape when we have to walk by faith. God lets something fall through and we don't understand it and we can't make sense of it. And all of a sudden we get twisted up on God. Don't you know that it is by design, it is not broken when your Christianity must function by faith. It, it, it is functioning, it is, it is appropriate, it is wholesome when your Christianity must function by faith. And so God's going to have to take us to deeper waters if we're to do daring works. Most of Christianity is predominantly cultural. I'm talking about even saved people. Their Christianity is predominantly cultural and, and very little personal and very little substantial. And when God, if He's going to do a real work in your life, He can't do it when there's no risk. He can't do it when there's no storms. He can't do it when there's no danger. He can't do it when there's no pressure. He's got to pull you to deeper waters to do daring works and great things in your life. I would say this, when we talk about the treasures of the storm, we're talking about the daring works that are done. But then I would say this, we're talking about the divine works. He says in verse number 24, These see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. What does he begin that with? For he commandeth, raiseth the stormy wind, which lifteth up the waves thereof. One of the most profound truths you'll ever come to terms with in your life is that not only did your storm not surprise God, he is in fact the God of creation who commands and wields every storm that blows across this land. One of the great truths that God teaches in the book of Revelation is that if he wants to, he can tell the angels just stop the wind and they can just stop. I mean, he can just hold that wind 
and just bound it up in a in an earthen pot and keep it from blowing if he chooses to do so. And I know, hey, listen, that messes up a lot of people's theology because we want to blame everything on the devil and we want to say we're so persecuted and we want to say that we're so targeted and we want to say that we're such martyrs when the reality is, hey, listen, uh, the devil uh, may have said a lot of things against Job, but it wasn't the devil that sent the wind that smote the corners of the house. It was the God that loved him and cared about him that did that. The fact is... True maturity in our life comes to the place where we love, mm, where we love the Lord more than we love the calm. Where we love the Lord more than we love the calm. And where if it takes a storm to see His presence, we're willing to take the storm. The fact of the matter is this, there are treasures in those storms. I don't like a storm any better than you do. You understand what I mean when I say storm. I mean, the calamities of life, the difficulties of life. I don't like them any better than you like them. But oftentimes, that's the place where God does a deeper work. We see this in the life of Job. There's things God did in Job's life that he couldn't have done without Job having to go through what he went through. In fact, you and I sit here today and imagine how many people have been fortified, how many people have been galvanized in their suffering because of the testimony of Job. And that distinctly could not have been done if God didn't send affliction into the life of Job. We like simple theology that looks and says, if it's good, it's God. If it's bad, the devil. But the reality is this. Hey, listen, the devil don't command the storms. He can't. He don't have that authority. He is not creator. He is a creature. And only the creator can beckon the storm. I won't like the next storm that comes up in my life any more than you'll like the next one that comes up in your life. But it'll be as true then as it is tonight when the sky is blue and when the sun is shining and when the wind is calm and easy, it'll still be true that that storm will come from the hand of a God that loves me enough to die for me, that loved me enough to give Himself for me, that loved me enough to endure a storm not just of calamity and not just of difficulty, but of the very wrath and judgment of God for me, and that He has, in fact, His hand has brought the storms in my life. Not because He doesn't love me, but because He does love me and because He wants to do deeper things. I can look at my life at times when I've gone, I've not gone through things like a lot of people in this room have. But I can remember going through things in my life, things that I despised and hated at the time, things that I was confused by and hurt by at the time, things that I couldn't make sense out of. They tore big holes in my theology that I couldn't reckon, that I couldn't cope with, and I had to just sort of step back and say, there's a lot I don't understand and there's a lot I don't know. I know Christ loves me. I know God's perfect. I know He's never made a mistake. And that's enough, amen, that's enough. Even if I can't make that G and haw with everything about what I'm going through, that that's enough. But I also see that there was a deepening work God did in my walk with Him in those times that He couldn't have done had I not gone through those things. Hey, there's treasures in the storm. We see the treasures of the storm, but then we see the terror of the storm. Verse 26 says this, they mount up to the heaven. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about the waves, but then he says this, they mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble. You know, it's funny. Somewhere in there, it quits talking about the waves and starts talking about the sailor. You know, you imagine a person standing at a distance and watching a ship being tossed to and fro. And the first thing you'd notice is the waves. But somewhere in that watching, you'd come to realize that on that ship there are people that are hurting, that are confused, 
that are disconcerted and disoriented. And it's almost like the psalmist is watching uh, from a distance in, in, in the silhouette cast by the lightning strikes, this storm taking place, and he's seeing the waves crashing to and fro. And then he realizes, you know, there's a person that's going through all that. Sometimes we forget when we see the storms in people's lives that that's people going through it. That's people going through it. As a pastor, you're deeply aware, I guess you would say, of the effect of of tragedy on people's lives because often you're holding their hand through it. Can I say this? Until you've been through it, you almost can't even imagine what the terror is of some of the storms that people go through. What do storms produce in a person's life? Well, notice number one, going through a storm is a distressing thing. He says this, they, the waves, preacher, well, the waves and the sailors, they're tossing around. They mount up to the heaven. They go down again to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. Loses its firmness, loses its structure, loses its soundness. The description is of a person whose heart has turned to a puddle because of the terror of what they're going through. It's funny when we think about a person and their heart and the way we use that concept of soul and of heart in a person's life, of a person having constitution and having strength and having resolve of mind. Let me tell you, you'll go through things in life that will turn everything that you think you know upside down. It's a distressing thing, but it's a disorienting thing. Verse 27, he says this, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. You can see a man walking upon a ship that is being tossed to and fro and stumbling around the deck and the bow of that ship and looking like a drunk man. And listen, it's not him that's moving, it's the earth that's moving under his feet. And they are at their wit's end. Don't know where to turn, don't know what to do. Don't know where to put their feet. Don't know how to stand. Some of y'all been in the Navy. You can say amen to that. Amen. I'm, am I alone? It got re- <laughs> That was eerie how quiet. I could have napped in that silence. You with me? Hey, listen, storms can be disorienting things. You notice that phrase at the wits end. Just don't know what to do. You know, it's funny. In my life, there have been times where until I ran out of knowing what to do, I didn't even care what he wanted me to do. There's times God had to bring me to a place of utter bankruptcy of options, of wit, and of what I sometimes foolishly call wisdom before I was willing to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need your wisdom. At their wits, yeah. Why does God allow all this? Well, here's why. Verse 28, then, you'll find it on four occasions, but what an important word that word then is in this chapter. Then it denotes a point in time. Then it denotes a point in development. Then, in other words, then at that point in time, but also then in that frame of mind. You know, a lot of these things, had God not let us experience them, we would have never gotten to the then. But then, when the storm is raging, then, when the earth is moving, then, when our soul is melted, when we're at our wit's end, then, they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. I see not only the treasures of the storm and the terror of the storm, but I see the taming of the storm. Storms won't last forever. It can feel like they will, but it won't last forever. 
You imagine what it must have been like to be Noah and his family to be on that ark and to experience a storm of 40 days and 40 nights. They must have thought it'd never end. But then just as God said, when God said, in the way God said, it ended. They stepped out of that ark and they found, they found three things. They found life. Life was still there. Sometimes we think there ain't no life at the other end of our storm. But can I tell you, hey, as long as we draw a breath and as long as God's working in our life, there's still life. There's still, we may not be able to understand it, but there's still life. By the way, there was more life when Noah got off the ark than there was when he got on the ark in a spiritual sense. There was life. The Lord was there. He gets off the ark and he builds an altar and he worships the Lord. And the Lord says, hello, Noah. Welcome into the daylight. I've been here the whole time. You know what you'll find at the other end of this storm is that God's still there. He's still there. He's still faithful. And he gets out and you know what he finds? He finds a bow in the clouds. He finds out as he gets off that ark that God's promises are still true. Can I tell you what you will not discover in your storm? You'll not find God a liar. You won't. I'm not saying you'll always at every moment understand how to reconcile what you're going through with what he has said. But I promise you this, if you'll look at it sincerely, when you come out the other end, you'll not be able to turn and to call God a liar. You'll find his promise has been true. We see God tames the storm. What happens in this? Well, in verse 28, we see the cry in the storm. Because the storm they're experiencing, they cry unto the Lord and they find him present and they find him potent. They find him faithful and they find him fierce and formidable to face the storm that they are experiencing. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble and he bringeth. That implied he heareth. (laughs) If he, if they cry and he answers, he must have heard. You know, it's funny. You imagine what it must be like if you've ever been on a storm in a storm on an ocean. It's an entirely different noise and sound as to being on one. On land, the very crashing of the waves creates a thunder in and of itself, even beyond the thunder that is naturally occurring in the atmosphere. And it can be a deafening thing to be in the storm. I'm going to say that again. I want you to really get that. It can be a deafening thing to be in the storm. Sometimes you get in the storm, you don't listen right. You don't hear right. Things that you know to be true, all of a sudden you doubt. Things that you, that, that you thought you knew, all of a sudden you begin to question. What can I do, preacher? Well, you can cry unto the Lord. They cry unto the Lord, the cry in the storm, but then see the calming of the storm. What does he do? Well, he bringeth them out of their distresses. It's interesting. He doesn't calm the storm to bring them out of their distresses. He brings them out of distresses, and then he calms the storm. You know why? I think God oftentimes will calm the saint before he calms the storm, because he wants to teach and remind the saint that their peace that, that, their, that their solace does not come from their circumstances. You know, you remember whenever the Lord calmed the storm in John chapter number 6 and the disciples, they, they, man, I mean, they had really, you talk about losing faith. <laughs> they had talked to him like he was a dog. Do you not care that we perish? Do you not know that we're dying? What's the matter with you, Lord? Don't you love us? And he looks at him and he says, where's your faith at? Where's your faith at? And then he turns and he calms, he rebukes them before he rebukes the storm. Tell you this, sometimes, hard as it is, he has to rebuke us before he rebukes the storm. He rebukes them for their faithlessness. And he says, where's your faith at? Why aren't you trusting me? Why aren't you leaning on me? And then he turns and he calms the storm. 
He could have calmed the storm and then calmed them. But he chose to calm them before he calmed the storm. Why? Because he wanted them to understand that they didn't have to wait for sunny skies to have peace. And in your life, you don't have to wait for everything to work out to have peace. There's peace right now. There's peace available right now. You could have peace in the Lord right now, tonight. Say, but preacher, my situation won't change. Well, it don't have to. You have a peace that passeth all understanding. You don't have to have your circumstances change. Once he's calmed them, he does indeed calm the storm. He maketh the storm a calm. Even that's interesting so that the waves thereof are still. Now, I do think that the, I do think the psalmist is suggesting here that he quiets the waves. That seems to be the, the suggestion so that the waves thereof are still. But just notice the explicit uh, statement there. He maketh the storm a calm. Can I say this? Sometimes he will calm the storm. Sometimes he'll give us such peace that the storm itself is a calm unto us. He maketh the storm a calm so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad because they be quiet. Amen. That's the parents' life verse. So he bringeth them unto their desired haven. I could say a lot of real theological things about that, but can I just make a passing statement? The storm goes away, and the Lord's still there. The storm goes away, and the Lord's still there. I can't tell you the times in my life I thought that my failures were final. The times in my life that I thought my my storms were terminal. Times that I thought what I was going through would be the defining thing for the rest of my days. Times when I thought that my hurt would lay me low. And yet here I stand. You could probably say in your life that there's been times you've hurt so bad you thought you was just going to shatter into a thousand pieces. But here you are tonight. You outlasted the storm because God outlasted the storm. And you're still here to praise Him and to give Him glory. I see the taming of the storm, but then I see the testimony of the storm. Verse 31. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. In other words, there's a testimony that comes out the other side of that storm. You know, there are several occasions when the Lord calmed storms for the disciples. And we all have real negative opinions of the disciples. We all think we would have done it better. But it is hard to fathom how they could find themselves in an identical situation to one in which the Lord had already delivered them, and yet still look at them and say, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? He had already healed them before. He had already calmed storms before. I mean, you'd think they'd sit back and say, hey, Jesus has got this. Don't worry about this. We've been, we've, we've seen this before. I've got a t-shirt. I mean, we've been through this. But instead, they'd find themselves in the same distress they were always in. Why is that? It's interesting in uh, the example in John, one of the reasons that the Bible gives and attributes to them struggling and failing in their faith is that they considered not the miracle of the loaves. Their heart was hard, their heart was hardened. In other words, that miracle of the loaves and God's provision was to prepare them for the miracle of the calming of the storm and God's protection. But they had missed it. You say, preacher, boy, they're rotten, ain't they? They're scoundrels. I mean, you talk, I mean, they're, they're thick. I mean, they really, they're just ignorant, aren't they? Well, I wonder what our excuse is. Because how many times How many times, how many times has he answered you? 
How many times has He delivered you? How many times has He rescued you? How many times has He stood and rebuked in the teeth of the storm that you've been going through and spoke peace to your soul? And yet so often, man, I'm talking about me. I don't know about you. I don't know what you've got going on in your heart, so I can't preach about you. I can just preach about me. And I'm saying that I have then doubted Him when the winds began to blow. See, there's a testimony comes out the other end of that storm, and that testimony is important. Notice who the hero of the testimony is. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. See, that testimony is not about the sailor that survived the storm, but rather it's about the God that calmed the storm. See, there are all sorts of people that not under their own ability, but just simply through the grace and measure of God, are permitted to survive storms. It ain't no great thing just to have lived and kept breathing. Amen. I've always thought it strange. We celebrate birthdays. Today's Brother Brandon's birthday. Congratulations on not dying in the last 365 days. Amen. Amen. Sign me up. Is that what you said, Ken? Sign me up for another 365. You, I might let you have mine. Amen. I don't know. And it's a strange thing. It's not the sailor that survives that we give praise to, but it's the God that provides that we give praise to. You know who the hero of the testimony is. And listen, if you come out of your storm and don't see God in a better light, you need to run back into it because you ain't learned what God had for you from it. It's been a waste if you've not come out the other side and grown to love Him more and grown to lean on Him more and grown to see in Him strength more. The hero of the testimony. But then notice the help of the testimony. I like this. Let them exalt him also in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. It's not enough for you to praise him in your heart. You've got to praise him in the congregation. It's not enough just for you to know how good he is. You have to tell others how good he is. Now, I wonder why that is. I wonder why. Well, there's the hero of the testimony, but then there's the help of the testimony. See, here's the truth. The reason he needed to testify of that in the congregation is there's probably some folks in the congregation going through their own storms. There's probably some folks in the congregation that was going to be headed down to the seashore to let God do a deep work in their life and they were going to endure the winds and the waves and the terror and the tumult of the storm themselves. And they needed to hear from somebody that had come from the sea that God would protect them even in the midst of that storm. Hey, it may not be real deep. It may not impress the commentators. But let me just tell you tonight, when you come through the other side of that storm, you ought to brag on God about it. Because there will be other people go through it. And they need to hear from you that God's faithful. They need to hear from you that God never lies. They need to hear from you that God's never made a mistake. They need to hear from you that He was as present in the storm as He was before the storm and as He is after the storm. They need to hear how God used it in your life to do a deep work, to reveal wonders in the deep and to do remarkable things that He could have done none other way. They need to hear that the judge of all the earth did right in your life and that He doeth all things well. They need to hear about that. What is the purpose of our testimony if it is not to bolster and buttress those that are going through things like we've been through. That's what it's about, friend. That's why God leaves us here to draw a breath, is that we might hate. The Bible says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He lets you draw a breath so you can praise the Lord, so that you can point people towards Him.
so that you can say, hey, you ain't the only person to ever go through this. You ain't the first person to go through it. You ain't the last person to go through it. And God's been faithful to all of them. And He's been faithful to me and He'll be faithful to you in the midst of this as well. Can't explain everything about it. and Won't even try to. I'll just say God's good and I want to praise Him for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. I can't explain everything about what you're going through, but I know he has a plan. I know he has a purpose. I'm not going to throw theology at you. I'm just going to tell you that I've been through my share of storms. Maybe not even, if I'm being honest. (laughs) Really, I probably got off easy. I've probably not even been through my share. But I've been through some, and I found him faithful. And he'll be faithful in yours as well. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. Uh, The altar's open for you to do business with the Lord. I'm not going to ask you a bunch of scenarios. Sometimes I do, but tonight I won't. I'll just say the altar's open. If you got business to do with the Lord, won't you meet Him down here? Let Him have His will and way in your heart, in your life. Father, I'm so thankful for Your goodness. I praise You for Your goodness, for Your wonderful works to the children of men, to me, for what You've done in my life, for what You continue to do on a daily basis. Lord, You're so good to me, and I thank You, and I praise You for it. And I pray that these, your people, Lord, would have open hearts to what you desire to do in them, that you might have your will and way in us. Lord, bless the remainder of our time together and bless this invitation. We ask it in Christ's name.